y'all. It is Ariana Silva. Welcome to the Sweet Tea series. Today, I'm hanging out with someone who has actually become a little bit of an inspiration of mine in the last few months. So she is a seventh generation Texan, a mom, a real estate agent, and a fighter for liberty. Jesse Ramirez, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Excited you want to cheers to take off the episode? <laughs> cheers, ma'am. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you drove how long to get into Austin today? Without rain, it would have taken me like an hour and like 14 minutes, but it was about an hour and a half. Okay. Well, thank you for, (laughs) you know, bearing the weather. How was it it. with the rain on? Did you take 35 at all to get in? the whole time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was no big deal. My whole goal in life and living in Austin is to avoid that highway as much as I possibly can. <laughs> Absolutely awful. If you move live around the Austin area and you have to take 35, I am sorry <laughs> for all of you. Okay, um, so the reason why I asked you to be a guest on the show is I really think that you can fit into what the mission of what we're doing here is. So the whole goal of this is to try to create a new generation of activists and let people know like in your normal lives, there's ways that you can get involved and you can shape your community. And it's important for people with jobs outside of just, you know, an organization like TBPF to be involved. So the way I originally met you was through the Liberty Leadership Council. That's correct. So what is that and what's your role with that? Yeah, so Liberty Leadership Council is basically like a, a, a sister or like a, a baby of TPPF, right? Mm-hmm. But essentially it's an organization for connecting young professionals in their respective cities. So, um, for example, I'm the chair of the San Antonio LLC and we have probably about like – eight to 12 meetings a year and we different events that are put on and there are a lot of exciting people that are in our group we have anything from realtors to attorneys to accountants to um commercial real estate agents we have a lot of different probably professions we have a couple of teachers so um it's kind of just anybody from different walks of life a lot of parents (laughs) that are involved and then a lot of just um single young professionals as well. So it's kind of from all walks of life. And how are you guys held together then if there are so many, a variety of different professionals? Um, We all, essentially what brings us to the LLC is conservative ideals and principles that we want to either sharpen in our own lives and help like take that message into our community in in a deeper way and really band together to make, be those those feet on the ground. So in what ways, I guess, do people either through the LLC or through what they learn at the LLC, how are they able to implement that into shaping Texas? Yeah. So some of the things that the LLC specifically does is provide like, um, let's say like specialty speakers on different topics. Um, So like this past year, one of my favorite events was probably like our 2A event that we held at Buck and Doe's and it was like a shooting range. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, Yeah. it was actually really... um, so, like, you know, we brought um, a Second Amendment specialist in to give us um, a speech, basically. What was his name? Uh, Der- Derek? Cohen from yes. TVF? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's so great. Basically, mm-hmm. he kind of talked to us about, like, hey, here's where the Texas legislature has been moving in the last couple years. We specifically talked about, like, our constitution- constitutional carry win and just how that plays forward in Texas. So we have more knowledge on what the legislature is doing or actively working towards. And then essentially, we as community members just talk about it in our communities. And then we have a couple of people in our LLC who are actively running for office. So just banding together to try to help them and pull through any um, specific campaigns that they're looking for also. So I would say like support education and then just 
like arming ourselves with the ideals and the educational background for it. That's awesome. How how long have you been part of LLC? I would say I so I was in the Austin ch- chapter before this because we recently moved down to the San Antonio area. Maybe like three and a half years, four years. Okay. No, it was pre-pandemic. So wow, maybe four years. <laughs> it's been a while oh, my now. Goodness. How has that shaped you personally then? The LLC? Yeah. Um, so it's given me a, a good amount of like like-minded friends and then just kind of bolstered the, the ideals and given me the confidence to, um, talk about it in groups of people that aren't necessarily conservative minded, but to have the confidence to move forward and speak and stand in like, this is what's happening at the legislature. And this is where we're going. Specifically, I talked a lot about even just to people, friend, my personal friend groups and neighbors about the property tax, like the, what was that, Senate Bill 8? Or was is that Senate Bill 8 that got passed I think last so, yeah. year? Mm-hmm. So we talked about that a lot in our LLC group last year and about how that was trying to pull through. And it did. So that was, a I felt more confident even speaking about it um, from a professional standpoint because of the LLC, because we talked a lot about it um, in those groups as well. So it's changed in that regard. And then... Um, TPPF um, puts on like the Texas Policy Summit and the the other specialty. What is it? I don't even know what it's called, but they do a big um, kind of the culmination of what the year was like. And so you meet people from around the state and different chapters. So like the Houston, the Dallas, the San Antonio, the Austin <clears throat> all get together to share the ideals and the wins. So Right. I think it's called Liberty Leadership Summit, if I'm is not mistaken. The Leadership Summit? Maybe. Okay. Yeah, but it's the one that incorporates all the LLC chapters. Right. And I think that it's so helpful to have a group like that, especially if you're in a city like Austin. No and so kidding. if you're <laughs> surrounded by people who don't agree with you, it kind of gives you that affirmation that there's other people who do agree with you. And not only that, that there's hope and, and ability for change and that you can be a part of that process. I have a lot of young cousins that are just now getting out of college and they live all over the state, right? So right. several in Dallas, several in Houston, and they're all like like I was like young conservative women but they're like oh my gosh like my coworkers are nuts you know it's so right. it's such a con- contradicting like opinion of ideals and I'm like you know like I did I had up the San Antonio chapter like there's Houston's there's Dallas so like right. and I've sent them the links I'm like you need to be around people that are in the same mindset as you and have the same values you don't have to agree on everything, but at least you come from the same set of values and what's important. Right. So. And then I'm sure like even for dating and stuff, you're at least opening yes. yourself up to yes. people who are like minded and agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another helpful thing. And I mean, like in my relationship, it's been very helpful to agree with someone, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So um Speaking about like the LLC stuff, I, I think the thing that um, reason why I wanted to have you specifically as a guest to not only talk about LLC, but also some of your background and what inspires you to fight for it. So for me, the idea of like my future family and what it is like that I want my kids to have growing up and what I want the state to look like is part of why the work that TPPF does matters to me. And so in what way does your family influence what you do? Yeah. So professionally, I've been in real estate seven years, but before this, I was, and I don't even think I told you this in college. I did my, a couple internships in around politics. I oh, did, really? um, okay. I worked on the, like the Bear County Sheriff campaign. So I always knew that that was part of my like greater interests. Right. But I would say my, my biggest interest was being a mom. So 
once I became a mom, it was more like, okay, I, like there are wild things happening throughout the country. Thank God we live in Texas, number one. But like, how do we preserve Texas, right? And like one of TPPF's big things is how do we, how do you keep Texas Texan, right? And I think that is such a beautiful, I think about that a lot. Like, what are the ideals of Texas? So part, being part of the LLC is one of those for me and just being involved so my kids can see that. My parents, I grew up, my parents being um, vocally interested in politics, but never um, actively like boots, you know, like being involved in any, t any types of organizations, but it was always an open conversation at home. And so I hope my kids, that's the motivation for me is my kids like, yeah, my mom really cared about this and she cared about where um, the values of Texas were headed and she actually did something about it, so. Wow, and um, how was, your family values, how did that influence you to go into real estate in the first place? Yeah. Um, so I would say, and you and I talked about this previously, of if somebody would ask me growing up or even in college, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would have said be a mom. And so that, obviously, I was in college. I was, I played, um, I got an athletic scholarship to play volleyball. So I was like, okay, like, of course, I want to, like, finish my education and do what I can, right? I, right. I, I love mm -hmm. learning. I think that is um, a huge like cornerstone of conservatism, right? Is like a love of learning. But I knew I wanted to be a mom. So of course I went into, um, <laughs> this, is a, this is a deep question, but I went into pharmaceutical sales. And at that point, um, my husband and I had just gotten married and he was playing semi-professional baseball. And even we dated in college and even in college, I specifically remember talking to him about when we have kids, I don't want to work in a nine to five or eight to five situation because I was raised by a stay at home mom. And so was he, his mom actually worked nights. They um, immigrated from Mexico when they were in teenagers. And so she worked nights. And so even as 20 year olds, we were talking about that in our relationship. And thank God that didn't scare him off. And I know probably some some beta boys now that would scare them off. Right. But thankfully, I have a fantastic husband and a fantastic partner who was like, yeah, I agree. Like, kids come first. You know, that's that was just it. So in the back of my mind, w those were the conversations that we were having pre-kids, if you will. So um, we always knew at some point... I want to take a backseat to to that. And what does that look like professionally? And like, where can you be essentially like an independent contractor? So when I went into pharma, I knew this isn't the longevity that I want, but it was a great career. And we both view our marriage as, as a partnership, you know, like he was chasing his dream and that was beautiful for that season. And I was the breadwinner during that point. And we actually bought our house the same year we got married and he was... I think jobless. So at that point, you know, like we were trying to figure out, okay, this is the beginning of our marriage, but we always knew that our family was going to come first. So I was always in the back of my mind, like, what can I do professionally that can give me the flexibility to be the mom that I want to be? And I, I think I found or just knew real estate was a great option because it, it was an independent contractor situation, right? It wasn't a you clock in and clock out type of situation. So that was important for me. And um, I always believed in, I'm probably one of the millions of kids who read like Rich Dad, Poor Dad when in high school and always believed in like the long-term wealth benefits of real estate. And 
Um, so for you, it aligned on both like your financial goals, but yeah. then also it allowed you to give you the flexibility you wanted yeah. for your family. Yep. I think that's so awesome. And I think that's something that's kind of lost in the conversation about, um, I mean, kind of with like the trad wife movement, <laughs> but as well as like this, the conversation of should, um, of women feeling like they either are being forced by the patriarchy or whatever to stay <laughs> home or the opposite of that, like they're being forced into the workforce. I think mm-hmm. that it's important to see that maybe that there's a balance that you can strike with prior to prioritizing your family and being a good partner to your spouse yeah so like what um, i agree my mom was able to do there was a season of our lives where my dad was um like when they both lived in austin and kind of pre-kids they were both you know working full-time doing all of that um but later on when we moved to the rio Grande valley they both decided okay we want to find a way where we can be continuing our professions but have more time for our kids and so for my mom she's an optometrist but she was able to do like part-time fill-in work and so she built her whole schedule so she's still actually like being a doctor but she was able to at least especially for our younger years like she could go and um if she knew that we had like an award ceremony going up in elementary school she'd be able to be at that yeah so i think that is awesome to think about and um another thing that i think is happening is for college girls you, I feel like there's that pressure of I need to figure out what I'm doing right now and that needs to be my job and I need to have this 10-year plan. But I think you can give yourself a little bit of room to know, like, you know, I can switch yeah. professions. I need to be building fundamentals. So were there any things that built up for you, like, um, that you were able to carry over from one job to the next? Well, so both of them are sales, right? So both of them are sales-type roles, let's say. But... Um... There's a there's a ton of crossover in in those two industries, but I, first of all, your mom sounds like a fantastic woman. She <laughs> she sounds is. fantastic. We love her. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds awesome. But there, I agree with you that there is a lost. There's like a, a line of communication that's lost with like let's say like young w- professional women that like you don't have to have it all figured out. But if you see like a future in a partner, we were we were having those early conversations, even as 20 year olds, we were we were having those conversations about what our what our life we wanted it to look like, you know what I mean? And, and that can help in weeding out the wrong guys. I hate to say that. But there are some there are probably some men that that would me being outwardly vocal about what I wanted long term might have scared some guys and good like but good, if that exactly. didn't if that wasn't aligned then they would have moved on right so I think that's a lost art in young women not communicating what they want long term and I've never been embarrassed or anything to say that I wanted to be a mom like I think that was like a um I think third wave feminism let's say has kind of looked down on that like aspiring to be a mother and to be a good one and that should not be um that should not be looked down upon or even like scoffed at i think that should be celebrated and from my opinion because to me that is the most important job i have four kids so that is a, a a huge role in my life and a huge motivator for me professionally and um in like political just community activism as well those the the kids and the family are the motivation for all of those things to be involved and to be good at and to be successful. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes sense. And not only that, there's, um, I actually wrote down a quote from a poem that aligns exactly with what you're saying. So it's from this 1865 poem by <laughs> William Ross Wallace. Um, and people just kind of know the saying. So it's the hand that rocks a cradle is the hand that rules the world. So I want to see if that like sticks out to you or <laughs> yeah. fits into your family dynamic. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think the the mother, like not, not to put shade on a dad, but there are 
and especially in the early years, if you're talking about like a, a child's formative years, the mother is such a, an important role in in kids' lives and in, in, and in my opinion, society's lives. My sister and I were just talking about good schools around us and we we're like, oh, I wonder why that's a, just such a great school. It's because there's so much mom involvement and there are so many, <sighs> there are so many individuals and young girls who are like taught like the only way to do it is like two incomes right right and where you find great schools i hate to say it but like are on there's a lot of families with single incomes right that are on one it's the parent involvement that makes the schools fantastic you know and and it's the it's the extra hands at the pta it's the extra volunteers that's what makes the school fantastic my sister and i were just talking about that like it's the moms that are making these institutions fantastic and it's true i think something that feminists missed during the like even second wave feminists i think missed this was they were very focused on getting women to the workplace because they felt like that was a part of society that they were being at that time excluded from. And by the time third wave feminism rolled around, I really feel like it was very unreasonable for them (laughs) to feel that way. But they completely let these institutions that they were running collapse because they left. And so when we see like that there's books in schools that are very age inappropriate that like have sexual material that's being like given to elementary school students. I think the reason we're (laughs) seeing that now is because there's not parents who care about these kids. They're watching it. So there's (laughs) schools that used to have accountability. They used to align with the parents is because they knew the parents and they were involved in making it happen. Girl, I was just working the elementary book fair a few months ago. I had a baby strapped to my front working it and I was walking around like looking at the books. I'm like, what's going on here? I was looking at all of like the display books because I wanted to see what was being like, what was the front face at, you know, Scholastic is the company who runs theirs that the book fairs basically throughout the nation. And so like they get to pick which, which books are there. And I was, it was an interesting, let's say like volunteer moment that I had, um, I didn't find any questionable things at our book fair, but I was on the hunt, girl. So like it is the moms of the communities and the extra time. And let's get to the root of it, of of dads who are not forcing or like, oh, yeah, we need the extra money. You know, like there are there's a there's a medium there. Right. The pendulum swings like hard each way and there's a happy medium to to a family scenario in in my opinion so i i like to think that personally that we've been able to find the medium of the pendulum swinging from like ultra conservative like oh let's say like ultra traditional to ultra modern you know right i would like to say that we're trying to toe the balance and i think the seasons thing that you brought up at the beginning is really important too like there was a season in your life where you as you said you were the breadwinner you were able to like give that dedication (laughs) was it really i that was my most let's say that was my most weepy time of my life i and like by weepy i mean crying time of my life because with the stress of it being on your shoulders the stress of that being on my on the shoulders and also like you have to understand we were 23 24 and we were we had already had all these conversations about where we wanted our life and at that point it wasn't there and like let me give the encouragement to all like the young women out there and young professionals like you don't have to be where you want to be right now like there is a good time for that and that is going to prune you for your future and to get you there it's going to like in my opinion god is going to prune you to get you where you need to be and in that moment lean into it don't expect all it, it all at once but that was a very stressful time for me personally and i 
that was probably my most um, desperate prayers and and times that we could figure it out and get to the next season. But we did. Like, we leaned in, into each other, and we we were able to get to where we are now. Obviously, my husband works full-time and gives a fantastic and he's a fantastic provider, but all the conversations that we had leading up to that were, where do we want to be? What are we working towards? And we still have those conversations now. We are about to celebrate 10 years of marriage. And if Congratulations. It sounds crazy, but we're still talking about, okay, where do we want to be in the next 10 years, right? Like, where are we going and how do we act now to be able to get there? And there's like a whole conversation on delayed gratification you know, like we can't have everything we want right now. And just right. like we couldn't have everything that we wanted 10 years ago, but there's a season for all of it. And I think another important concept for, for young like professional women is the, the feminine feminist, like, I guess, message would tell you like, oh, you can have it all. And you absolutely can. But I think there's a caveat. You can't have it all at the same time. Like we have to be patient with ourselves and our family and be res- and be respectful of seasons of our life and where that takes us long term because we we can have all the um, multifaceted fulfillment not at not all at the same time. Does that make sense? Like oh, I wish 100%. somebody would have told me that when I was 24 like, "Look, Jesse, chill. Like stop crying. Like you're going to be fine." And you're going to be able to have all these rich facets of life, but it's not all right now. So I wish somebody would have told me that. And I think one of the things that um, struck me in a different conversation that we had had was about people needing to know that it's okay to live below your means for a while (laughs) to get to that next point. So like the delayed gratification sort of situation. How did that help your family? Well, so like we specifically, when we bought our first house, right? Um, I'm pretty sure my husband was unemployed at that time. But we bought a house on one one income where a lot of people around us, right, just fresh jobs out of college were buying a house, like stretching it out to like, let's get our let's get a really nice house right now. Right. And we started and that was back in the Austin area when you could still buy in the hundreds, you know, and that is not possible now. <laughs> you said Austin area in hundreds. And I feel like that's just. <laughs> and that wasn't even impossible. that long ago, which is nuts. But. At that point, we were like, okay, like we could wait a year and potentially buy like an, an, a lot nicer home, right? Or because my husband already had his, um, he already had his graduate degree too. So we were like, okay, like he was basically going from nothing to like, he's going to like his earning potential will at some point increase, right? Right. But we made the decision like, okay, let's buy the classic starter home. And we went way under, and here's the deal, banks will give you as much as they can. You know, when they want to lend you money, they want to say, oh, congratulations, you can afford this high amount. But I think also what I try to counsel my young buyers into is you need to be comfortable in worst case scenarios. So like think about if you had a baby and you wanted to stay home, what would that look like monthly for you? And then how does that inform your purchasing power? And that's and those were conversations that we were having at 23, 24 when we were buying our house. Like, when we have a baby and it wasn't it wouldn't be until four years later right we were married for four years before we had a, our first child what is that going to look like and how's that going to set us up for success buying a house on one income is setting you up for long-term success because at some point it's not going to be that and so we've been able to live way below our means and and really turn that in now into like an investment portfolio for us personally so 
Yeah, I think that's what it leads to. So that's definitely what my aspiration is right now. So I have a life update for you, actually, for myself. So my fiance and I put an offer in on a house like last week, got accepted. And it's (laughs) my gosh, congrats. (laughs) So, which is a big movement thing. So, like, I'm 24 right now. And so he's like a few years older than me. But at this point in my life, this I was expecting to be like, not <laughs> you're already buying it so i feel like it's been this whirlwind of stuff yeah. it's um but we're thank you but with like speaking of the housing unaffordability yeah the austin like austin proper just was not going to be possible for us yeah. because we could not stretch things that far them in a way that made sense but so we like found a new build that was a little bit outside yeah. of the austin area and right now they're like buying down interest rates and stuff like that but i feel like congrats Thank you. It's crazy. (laughs) But with all of that sort of stuff happening, we were like looking at whenever we had to like we were looking for a home at first and we're seeing just the prices of everything. We're struck with the idea that I feel like a lot of people are feeling, which is, am I able to afford a home? And I think a lot of millennials and Gen Z are asking themselves, will I be able to afford something? So like, let's like going into some news sources. So like Daily Wire, and this was an article from November of 2023. Um, it says it's often cheaper to rent than buy property. And also in uh, November 23, the LBM Journal said to afford the medium priced home of 433,000, uh, so 433,100, um, Americans need an annual income of roughly 166,600. Right. But the median household earns just 74,580, uh, 74, and that's only 45% of the recommended amount. So what is what's happening? happening? Can people afford houses? What what's the best way yeah. forward? Well, it depends what people you're talking about, and I think those are staggering numbers. And that has that's a staggering number in even just the last couple of years. Like we're talking about four years ago, that was not the scenario, right? Like average home prices were in like the two hundreds. So like things have really increased and that that four hundred and thirty three thousand, that's like the national average for right. a home price. It it is it's shocking, honestly. But I think you have to pair it along with what's going on economically, right? Like inflation is out of control. Like the federal government prints money out of control. And in a previous conversation you and I had, we talked about how like what are the factors that have led us here right and like let's just like try to get to the bottom of it there's a lot of different opinions out there on that economically but i think one of the the biggest factors would be the like the federal government artificially suppressing interest rates for too long during the covid pandemic so i had buyers in 2020 like early 2021 right getting mortgage rates at like 2.7, 2.8, 2.7, 2.8, right? And now we're around, we're hovering like around 6.5 to 7%. So, right? That's and for like, a while, it went even higher than that. Yes, yeah. it did. So that's like three times that amount, right? So affordability in that regard, m- my opinion is the interest rates were too low. Like money was too cheap too long. And so that created a frenzy of hungry sharks let's say in in the buying market and so prices just went way high and and i think in addition to that what adds to that is is corporate buyers so we also talked about how pre-pandemic like the percentage of single family acquisitions from like corporate buyers let's talk like llc heads hedge funds was around like 13 and 14 percent at the end of 2022 from that 
it went from 14% to 28%. And that's from, we talked about that Pew Research study. So that's quite the increase in corporate buyers. So like, what are these corporations know that like the single family or like the average buyer doesn't know, right? That there's long-term wealth to be had here, but at the detriment of the individual buyers, which is a pain, right? But I, during that time, I remember telling my husband, like, all these corporations, because I was, my buyers were going up against all these LLCs, right, that were paying in cash, that were waiving inspection, that were zero days of option, that were coming in with heavy earnest money amounts. So I remember telling my husband, like, they're like, all of these LLCs are investors that know something that we don't, right? Like, they are taking advantage of what we should be doing. So it was... It's it's an interesting dynamic, but I think there's a couple of things that created that. I think the interest rate suppression, if you will, the corporate buying, and then just like the Airbnb market that we talked about, like that frenzy of individuals going in and buying up homes for investment purposes, specifically Airbnb and the market that that has created. But, um, you know, that's an, an essence taken away from the average, like, let's say, like, young professionals trying to purchase their first home. So it's... Right. And then I was speaking to um, one of the guys here at TPPF, um, and he was talking about that one of the other things that's keeping, that is really demand and supply as well, that's that's keeping the prices so high. So there's not enough builds that are happening right. to, like, accommodate the amount of, of people that are moving to Texas and how many people want homes in Texas right now. Um, but he was saying one of the, the key factors to that part is how city regulations. And so in big cities like Austin that have so many regulations for like for building and stuff like that, it mm -hmm. makes it a lot more difficult to create a supply that that can help um, at least a little even that out a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's sad that essentially like the city's creating obstacles and those obstacles like the city is funded by the taxpayer, right? Like we fund them and then they're creating obstacles for us to like have basic thing i mean housing right we're it's constantly paying the government for the government to work to make our lives more expensive <laughs> it is quite the dichotomy that they have created it's it's an interesting it, it'll it will honestly it will make your blood boil if you really look into it and f figure out okay like why why are these costs so high it will make your blood boil but it's it's more I try to look at historical trends, right, and try to have a like a, a 360 or, you know, an, an aerial view of what's happening in the economy and, like, where are we going? Are interest rates high right now? Yes, but historically, no. You know, we talked about that. Like, you you have to put it all into perspective. Of like, where, how high were the interest rates in the 80s and 90s? It yeah, was way so higher, right? Like, my parents, I think their first home was in the late 80s, and they bought at 16%. So, right, you think about, like, okay, are interest rates high right now? Yeah, for the last decade right now, maybe they might be high. But for the last 50 years, they're actually, like, mid-range to low. So, right, the sales prices weren't so high, right? But... You have to put in, I like to look at things from a, like a historical perspective and really zoom out to be able to see like, okay, how does this affect me? And then where is this going? Are prices going to, in like the Austin, San Antonio metro area, are they going to drop drastically now? And I, I hate to say it, my, my perspective is, and I look at month to month data and like month to month versus year over year data. And we're like the San Antonio is already at 0%. Like, zero percent change 
So we went, San Antonio went from 4% ne and negative growth year over year in the last six months, and now it's at zero. So you think like, okay, has the market bottomed out, right? If we've had several months of zero negative growth, 0% negative growth, then maybe we are at the bottom of this correction, right? People say real estate correction. There has been declining sales prices, but now we're at zero for several months. So did the correction already happen? You know, like, and so, like, right. So, is it only up from here? Right. Is the question. You know, so, and do you see the same thing in the Austin area? I, I, Austin's not at zero yet, but San okay. Antonio is. So, the biggest year-over-year -year decrease that Austin experienced was like, like four or five months ago. It saw a fourteen percent decrease in, and this is like Austin metro area. Right. And that I was this, checking Zillow every day back then, and it was like, oh, this house dropped twenty, 20 grand, <laughs> yeah, forty yep. grand. Mm -hmm. There was like a fourteen percent decrease year over year from this year to last year. So there, and I think the most recent one I saw in Austin, now they're like at 4%. So Austin has more um, highs and lows than San Antonio does, but San Antonio has been at like 1% and 0% for the last three or four months. So, you know, you have to think like, okay, economically and historically, when something hits like that 0% negative growth, what happens, right? In the 08, 09 bubble, they sales prices in San Antonio only dropped like 2.9%. And then they just continued a steady, gradual incline. So like we think about where we where are we historically in the cycle of the real estate market trends. And I think we're for San Antonio, you know, I think it's there's already a bottom happening. And then as we head into the spring and summer months, we already know that the Federal Reserve has said that they're going to cut interest rates about three times this year. So we already know it's going to get cheaper to borrow money. And what is I mean, that creates more competition, right? Like more buyers will come into the marketplace when it's when it's more affordable to borrow money. So it's interesting to like, I try to look at it from the historical and like the cyclical view of like, okay, where are we in this trend? And where are we going next, right? To make informed decisions for buyers and to try to be a good resource for them. I try to. Right. And I think that's awesome that there's people in these industries who are <laughs> trying to look out for their buyers and stuff as well. But there's other people um, beyond just like the federal government that are trying to, I guess, alleviate some of the difficulties buying a home. Um, yeah. But I have a few qualms with them and I want to see what you think uh -huh. about it. So New York, New York Post article says uh, companies selling tiny homes from 130K sparks critics. This is a new affordable housing market. And so it's talking about how um, Lennar constructed right. a tiny home community of 350 square foot homes in San Antonio. Uh -huh. So teeny tiny homes. Did you look at the pictures? Yes, okay. I did. So okay. like uh, they're called um, Elm Trails. Yeah. And each tiny home has um, one bedroom, one bathroom. And then that's like still so 130K. Um, and it's like a two story home layout. So uh -huh. what are your thoughts on that as like alleviating and giving people an option for for home buying? I, in regards to giving an option for home buying, I say it's a positive, you know, like if somebody's going to enter the marketplace, I think properties and developments like that will have less long-term growth than let's say, um, more competitive. Like it won't sell the same way a three bedroom, three bathroom would. A hundred percent. And it's, it's going to, in my opinion, those communities will see less year over year growth than other than other communities let's say that Lennar does does it fill a need yeah yeah it does right and potentially like I I tell buyers to look at home purchasing on see it like almost like a savings account like is home growth going to outpace inflation 
Like the, the property growth can outpace inflation. And home values do, like we've seen that historically, that home home values outpace inflation. So like we can look at the money that you put into a house potentially as a savings account long term. And if you wait long enough, term. <laughs> if you wait long enough, if you wait long enough, right? And it should just be one facet in your like overall investment portfolio, right? Like I'm not one of those realtors that thinks like real estate is the only way to like long term wealth. I don't think it is. I think it is a very important facet and it should not be ignored. And the faster you get in, the better you'll the better you'll be in the long term. Right. So, I think the thing that stuck out to me was a little bit different than just the option for home buying with this. What? I thought that it was odd that there's like that they think that there's people who want to move in to a 350 square foot home. And I thought I was thinking like, okay, well, what does that look long term if you're a young adult who's going to start a family? Because yeah. that's who they're like, it's going to be younger towards. adults. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, oh, wait, people aren't starting families. And so instead, they've created this whole market for people who I don't think have like, I guess, traditional value aspirations. Well, and and they, that was really concerning to me that there's like now that the market has cut off to that, and it's almost feeding into that and then putting people into a position where they would be I guess, stuck without room to grow. Exactly. Yeah, that is an interesting, that's an interesting take. I see that it's not just young fa- or young couples. I also see like retirees being able to downsize. Maybe that's a piece that I'm missing right? from it. And they can still live independently, but not have a mortgage. Let's say they sold their three bedroom, two bath house, you know, for a couple hundred thousand. And then they, they still want like autonomy and independence, right? So I I do have like some some older seniors that are like, hey, like what is that? Like what what does that mean? And like what are those communities look like? So it I think it serves more than just one singular market. But that the point you bring up that does not sit well with me. You know, like that doesn't that doesn't like give you the warm and fuzzies. Like you're gonna stay in this like small space because you don't have aspirations or you're not willing to grow, right? But I think it does serve a short term. I think purpose. having the that actually makes me feel better about the idea because I was just really like, who who's the person that would want to buy, <laughs> buy this? Now I was thinking about the younger end, but that is yeah. true about retirees wanting to yeah, like they downsize. want to downsize, and it's just right. two people, right? But then again, it's a two story home. Yeah, so like and so older. that's why I feel like maybe it's not that's not their target audience. So anyway, nefarious things with this society <laughs> trying to suppress. I have families. seen those before, though. They're not they don't look terrible, but it is an interesting. I mean, they the layout, because I was looking at, like, online videos yeah. of going through it, it's as smart a layout as you can get with 350 square yeah, feet. Yeah, so it is. It, like, optimizes the space, if you will. Right. And it's not terrible, like, if that's your option to get in. But it's it's just another area where I'm wondering about... I will be interested in, like, things. the long-term data on developments like that and how they pace in growth and, like, um, equity versus other, like other developments that we have now you know what i mean like how a development like that can like earn equity and and earn long-term growth over the other developments so really quick if some of our audience is like because i wouldn't have known what this meant until i started looking into house explain what housing equity is (laughs) so like when you have let's say when you have when you take out a mortgage on something as long term as a house value goes up that house is worth more so what you put into it essentially grows and what you can borrow from that grows so like let's say you're getting into your first house let's say it's $300,000 right the let's say you're putting down i don't know 10% right that's $30,000 right or yeah 
you're you're trying to long term make that thirty thousand grow, and so over time, as you stay in that house for ten years, let's say in ten years it's worth three hundred seventy five, that the amount of equity in your house it grows to that. Your principal plus the growth in it, so you can also borrow on that. So that equity is important because if you're looking to long term invest the principal verse and combined with the growth that it has, that becomes your equity long-term. And it and it's reflective of sales prices and growth that are happening currently. So like- So it gives you more money to do things with. So yeah. I know if like someone's gonna, if people are selling between moving homes, they yep. can use that to fix up their home so they can get a higher sale price, for example. Yep. Yeah. Th- so. there, are, there are a lot of options that people can do with that, but- there's, you know, th- there's a lot of like different like financing ways that you can look at equity th- these days. And people use it a lot, a lot of times for getting to the next house, right? Like making that move to the next house or expanding starting portfolio. investment. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think, a good oversight of like what's happening with real estate, people being able to afford yeah. homes. But I want to touch back on some of the family issues and stuff like that. So if you um, are you know, you're a young mom, you're like involved in, you're like realizing you want to like get involved in your community. You had a way that you did that whenever you had, or was it a few years ago whenever you worked with the libraries? So after my first baby, I, you're like a young mom, like, what am I supposed to do with this kid all day? Right? <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do with this kid? And like, how do I entertain this kid? Local libraries, if you don't know this, have like toddler times and story times, essentially where an, an library employee comes and reads and hangs out with the kiddos and they have like little like sensory toys for them to play with and songs and like the scarves that come up right so it's basically like entertainment for the babies Mm -hmm. right and socialization time for them so I was going to the library a couple times a week after my first kid and like okay just like I'm one of those people like I need a routine like I don't like just see how the day goes I'm like this is what I'm doing tomorrow okay and so I'm pretty regimented in that and I took that into motherhood, let's say. So going to the library all the time, like literally a couple of times a week or more, um, morphed into getting to figure out what the library needed. And so they were um, taking applications for the library board. So I applied to be on the Kyle Public Library Board and went into that kind of open-eyed just as a, as a lover of the library, a lover of learning and what the library offers to the community members you know there was the library is do you realize that public libraries are literally one of the last free institutions in our society like it's one of the only places that you can go and not spend money do you realize that how crazy is that that was something that i really took in as like a board member of like we are providing literally one of the only places where somebody can go print stuff where somebody can go learn for free Wi-Fi is free. A lot of times there was coffee out there for free. It was a warm place. And that really moved me to like, man, it's just wild how important public libraries are. So I became the chair of the Kyle Public Library and I served the term, I think it was right over two years. And that was during COVID. So that was an interesting scenario to be in. But really the motivation came from, I care about where this library is headed because I my family benefits from this, right? And the families around me, the library enriches the families in the area. So um, my viewpoint was like, if I don't do this, somebody that, no shade to seniors, but most volunteer board positions throughout a city or 
like the planning and zoning, the library boards, the like the parks and recreation boards. I hate to say that, but we we need more young and motivated young professionals to be in there because most of your local city boards and volunteer positions are just run by seniors and they don't have the same viewpoint or mindset or frame of thinking. Essentially, we have to be able to balance each other out, right? Like we have different needs and desires and in ways that we see the library progressing and with technology. And there's a lot of you know, there, there's a lot of like deep caveats that you can see from where does a library go if you ask a 30 year old versus a 70 year old. You know what I mean? Right. There's... And I think that it also shows that there's ways that you can be. I mean, even if you're in college, there are so many just random boards that the yes. state has or your city has. And you yeah. can engage in that even if you're a college student. I had a friend who um, he it was while we were in college. So this is like two years ago. I forgot what random city board it was on that he just like <laughs> applied online, uh -huh. and then he was making decisions about like yes. I think it was like some sort of water committee or something You're like that. Like, something why so are random. You in charge of that, <laughs> right? But he just found a way to get involved. And uh -huh. so, if like people like take away something from this episode, I hope it's yes. that you can be at whatever stage of life you're in and do something that like can impact your local community. Uh -huh. And the other thing that I think we need to consider is if you're not doing it, someone on the left might be. That was 100% my mentality. I didn't want to say that. But like, if I don't do it, some nut job is going to do it, in my opinion. And I was like, their libraries are a volatile, can be a volatile um, space, right? And we need like protectors of education, of appropriate education. Um, and like the, the viewpoints that young professionals can bring and young moms, young dads, you know, I'm not saying you have to have a family to be involved, but there are most of your, whatever your city is, if you go to their website and look up like library board or planning and zoning, they make all the decisions, which is nuts to me. Volunteers make all the like zone rezoning and long-term decisions for developments that come in, like a developer comes in, they have to go through the planning and zoning board, which is run by volunteers. So literally, that could be that could be you. That could be us. It could be my random friend in college. It could Who's be making decisions about how old friend right. in college. <laughs> so I remember thinking, like when I was on the library board, we produced a long range plan in LRP that was the vision and the sounding board for the next ten years of the library. And I presented it to city council to get them to sign off on it. And that I was like, it is wild that I'm just a volunteer and like we we wrote the long range plan and got to decide w essentially where the resources for the library were going to go for the next ten years. Isn't that bizarre? That's so much like power that just some, I guess, a volunteer it, has. Right, like, uh -huh. right? Like, we go through an interview process, right? And like, some, we were just talking about some um, local cities, it's you're elected to the position, but some cities, you're just, you apply for the position and go through the interview process. So they're all set up a little bit different, but essentially, just a volunteer is a group of volunteers, not just one, but a group of volunteers is in charge for where the library is headed in the next 10 years or in regards to planning and zoning, where what developers are allowed to come in and rezone plots of land for huge commercial developments or huge residential or mixed use. The planning and zoning is made up of eight to 12 volunteers who decide which developers are allowed to come to the area. And again, if conservatives aren't doing it, the left will. So when I like had that epiphany and I think I volunteered to do that right after the birth of my second kid because I was like I am going to the library so much and this is like a long term for my future so like I if I don't do it it's going to be somebody that I 
maybe don't agree with. So there are ways and I never like I'm in I'm a realtor. I never thought that I would like look at the library, but I love how the library serves the community and it has such a direct impact on not just like one demographic, it's everybody. It's the one free resource, right? So there was so much um, conviction for me personally to look at that as a means of essentially like activism and being involved. So to me, I would say like if I could tell a young professional something and if they want to get involved, they're like, what does that look like? I don't want to run for office. Like I'm not the public type of person. There are other roles that you can get in and leadership positions within your community that serve a way deeper and more hands-on role than we even realize. I and like if the... you want like-minded people to help you get there, join the Liberty Leadership <laughs> yeah, Council. Come on, come on. <laughs> Do you know our um, one of our LLC members in Austin is on planning and zoning? Right. Like, she's the chair. So, like, she's – there's so many different ways that um, the LLC can really, like, pull into – and she she's like she has a job in tech and like finance and tech. So like she's not she doesn't care. I should be the one in planning and zoning because I'm a realtor, <laughs> you know, but she just cared about it. And she was, you know, willing to like step out of her bubble and she had never done it before. And neither had I. So I think like if there's some if there's a way that you're like, OK, this year. Right. It's January. I want to make 2024 a fantastic year. You know, like I think say yes and seek out things that you don't know how to do. That is incredible. That is a that is when you get to a point mentally where you think I I believe in my own ability to learn how to do it. I don't always have to know how to do it before I say yes, you know. There's a there's a learning curve in everything, but getting uncomfortable or getting comfortable being like I don't know how to do that instead of saying no because I don't want to make myself look foolish, say yes and figure out how to get there, you know? Like we didn't know what we were doing before we we applied to those boards but we figured it out when we got there and then we got voted as chair right so we're the ones like conducting the meetings presenting to city council signing off you know it's our name on the sign off so there are there is some value to like making up your mind that you're going to say yes to things that you don't know how to do like for the betterment of yourself professionally like internally and then just for your community if you don't do it some some weirdo is going to do it. So, <laughs> I think that's a great way to like leave everyone with a piece of advice. You do something if you don't know how to do it. Believe in your ability to learn yeah. how to do it. Thank you so much for coming on the show with that piece of information. Yeah. If you like this kind of um, this kind of inspiration, please subscribe to the show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, whatever mm -hmm. podcast platform you listen on, to our YouTube channel. And if there's someone that you want to inspire to get involved in their local community, send this to them. Is there a way that people can reach out to you or find you? Social media wise, okay. yeah. Um, I would or email, I would say my, my Instagram is Jhart Ramirez. So, yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody. Thank yeah. you so much for having Fantastic. me. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. And we will see all of y'all next Friday. Bye.